Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. How are you? Yeah, they're good. Yeah. In lockdown? Yeah, I'm in uh, election next door uh, to Mike Israel. We're, bit, we're literally neighbors. <laughs> what a weird situation. <laughs> Is that by design or coincidence? Yeah, yeah. So I was stuck in New York first, and I was like, so who do we know here? And a couple of clients, a couple of people in New York. It's like, oh, okay. And I was like, I know Mike Israel. He's, he's like, it's only an hour drive. So. You just so go here. It wasn't just like two in the morning. Like, what's that bloody racket next door? You knock on the door and you're like, oh, sure, that's the guy from Renaissance Periodization. <laughs> Do you just talk about protein and stuff? Yeah, everything. I mean, yeah. uh, we see each other quite a lot now. And, uh, you should have seen the response to my article on the genetic muscular potential of women. That was like, so it's the same is the conclusion. And there's like half of the people are like, you're a fucking feminist. And the other half's like, that's sexist. Oh my God. What? Right. This is what it's happens when, when you talk about data and it upsets someone because they don't like the conclusion to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. I think my favorite part of the previous one was um, we asked you, would you rather flip a coin and make like 10 million pounds instantly or die instantly? And you were like, well, of course, because based on the expected value criterion, this would be a 5 million pound payoff. So I would flip the coin. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'd still I'd still give that answer. <laughs> I was just about to ask you that. That's mm. the ultimate test, isn't it? Whether you still feel the same way. Do you have more? Did you find any more? Would you rather questions yourself? Oh, I did. Mm-hmm. Are you ready, Mano? Yeah, let's get into it. So, very important. Would you rather never wear underwear again, or have to wear gloves for the rest of your life? Um, I'll do it without the undies. I see those okay. are uh, unessential and uh, I don't like gloves. In general, I don't like anything. I like direct contact between my hands and, and the bar whatever. Bar. Also in sports, it's like if you look at which sports I like, it's basically am I doing something with my hands? Otherwise, my feet, if there's like an object in between, my liking for the sport decreases significantly. 100%. Well, like if you're always having to deadlift in gloves for the rest of your life, like terrible. Yeah. I, I think did that t- when I was uh, 16. Right. Typing on a keyboard, <laughs> using your phone, like using yeah. any digital device would be a nightmare. I have trouble it's using my phone right now. <laughs> Whereas direct genital contact with your trousers, like that's a much lower cost than gloves all the time. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Second one, would you rather have a fully functional lightsaber or cure coronavirus? We're going to have to go with curing coronavirus. <laughs> You're a good I'm not, man. I'm not, dabbing, I'm not dabbing into Star Wars. <laughs> That's an opportunity to either get a really negative public backlash. <laughs> or a lightsaber. Uh, yeah, or 
Yeah. I like the new Star Trek movies. Those are, yeah. Yeah. The, the final one, this is not a would you rather, but let's assume that you were immortal. Would you mm-hmm. tell people or not? I guess it wouldn't matter. Like, would you keep it a <laughs> secret? Guess, yeah, nobody would believe me anyway. Well, you, you could win a lot of Maybe bets like, if you didn't tell people. Well, I'm in Philadelphia. I guess there, there would be situations where uh, like you tell the wrong person, they're like, uh, <laughs> immortal this, and then they shoot you in the head. <laughs> but, uh, but you're still immortal. Yeah. Because it might hurt, though, might not it? You never know. So I, I guess each shit breaks. Very <laughs> true. Okay. Moving swiftly on then. So what it'd be it'd be good to know, Minna, just for sort of people listening who perhaps aren't familiar with you, what your background is, what you've sort your involvement in the fitness industry, online, offline, and sort of what you do now as well. Be good to know. Sure. I mean the my main two things are still online coaching and uh, basically educating others to become online coaches. So my online PT course is available in several languages. I host the English one. And um, yeah, other than that, I, I do some scientific research uh, and then some side jobs, advisory board positions and stuff. Okay. What was it about online fitness coaching that sort of inspired you to move in that direction? It started pretty uh, ad hoc. It wasn't even that I started online coaching. Uh, there was actually demands for I actually had the product in, in my uh, case. So I started writing about it. <clears throat> and at the time, I was still a business consultant. And my first article was published on T-Nation. So then I suddenly had an audience and I quickly scrambled together a website. And I just started writing about it and you know, answering people's comments and stuff. And then people started asking me, hey, can you coach me? I was like, okay, uh, sure, I can give it a try. That went well. And then it was mostly word of mouth and things grew from there. And was that like, a, when, when was that? That'd be quite a while ago now. Like, uh, I mean, I guess you can check the dates on the T-Nation article. That's basically... Uh, when then. I started, yeah. Right. So you just submitted some stuff to T Nation, they gave you a shot, and then it all kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, that, that was when, when T Nation was still uh, like uh, the thing. Yeah. Also yeah. for like evidence based fitness. Yeah. And uh, I've, a lot of people now actually don't even know anymore what, what T Nation is. It's like just on our website. Yeah. But, uh, then it was like, it, it's true. They say pretty much all the, the greats in the industry have written on T Nation. And that's at that time, that was 100% true. Yeah, yeah. T Nation no, was the it was the golden age of fitness on the on the internet back before all this. Uh, I I looked back on some of my old um, <clears throat> old notes the other day, and I saw a, a clip from T Nation of a, one of their bodybuilders saying, um, "I was so unwell, and I was dragging around an oxygen canister in the gym while I was training, but because I was taking this lipid supplement, it meant that I could just power through it and." Uh, and it was all okay. And I gained 16 pounds of muscle in three weeks. You're like, right. classic well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> It started to move that way, didn't it? So slowly. And it's then, uh, more supplement focused. Yeah. But like Charles Poliquin, and I think he wrote some of the first articles on there, right? Yeah, he was, he was big on there. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and that's, that's kind of evolved into what you do now, which straddles sort of both sides of the of the coaching coaching yeah, relationship exactly are you, are you still coaching people personally still still fitness coaching yourself yeah, yeah yeah i've actually tried some forms of and i do have a co-coaching module where i have some students of my pt course that i think are really good i've coached someone else but 
the conversion rate to that is is literally one percent or less. <laughs> so it's basically when when someone comes to me and they're like, "I want coaching from you," and I say, "Okay, these these are my rates," and they're like, "Oh, it's kind of expensive." Uh, like, okay, I understand. Sure, uh, I can offer this co coaching. Uh, you know, I'll supervise the coach, and the coach will be. Uh, but the coach will be doing the coaching. He'll be in contact with the coach. I was like, conversion rate is it's just abysmal. Really? So I, I, I barely even advertise it in. So people just want Menno. Menno or no Menno. I guess. I mean, it is really important that you, most of my clients, pretty much all, for both the PT course and um, <coughs> for me as PT, and that's, I think, a really good lesson for, for all PTs. Depends a bit on your market, but virtually anyone that purchases anything from me has followed me for like a year or longer. And they're like, so I read this article... And if I ask them, for example, where did you first hear about me? Most of them don't know. Like some are, are really uh, specific, like keto gains. You had overwhelmingly positive reviews. That's why I'm here now. Um, but others are like, yeah, I, I stumbled upon your article on Google maybe. I don't know. Or uh, I saw some of your Facebook posts and then you started following you, wrote articles, listened to a podcast. And it built trust and liking. And in general, I say as a PT, the two most important things you want to cultivate in your audience you need to be likable and you need to be authoritative. So basically, people want you to know your stuff so you can deliver them results. And this is ultimately generally the most important, although it depends a bit on the market because for some people, it's equally important, if not more important, that you are a likable person. And I'd say that being a likable person is, is maybe even more important for the retention of clients. Uh, and authority is, is probably a little bit more important for um, the, the prospects, the initial signups. Because you know you won't, you're not going to give a, someone a lot of money just because you like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be somewhat of a, a business uh, nature to it. So I suppose that this is the the problem that lots of like fitness Instagram influencers are facing, which is they've got a huge amount of traffic. People like them, or people follow them because of either they like their personality or their sex appeal or whatever. But actually, it doesn't convert very well into them into their coaching because they're not an authority in that. In that niche, right. for sure. <clears throat> That's a big problem with Instagram in general, I'd say. The value of an Instagram uh, like, follow, subscriber is, uh, in general, very low compared to someone on Facebook and especially compared to uh, a newsletter follower because Instagram is just it's watching pictures, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people, it's also a bit, by design, very internal. And people don't really stray from Instagram as much. Forums have the same issue. So if you get really big on a forum, you have to get really big on a big forum and then you can cultivate an audience there, like Berger Fagerli or Norway. He started off mostly like that. And there are some people you can get big on Reddit. Um, T Nation actually had some people like that. Uh, bodybuilding.com forums. But even then, those are often not people that really stray from the forum. They just, they, the reason they go there is for the information. And you know, you're just a source of information. But they already get what they want from you on that location. And... Instagram sort of has this as well. Most people on Instagram are not, you know, the reason they're on Instagram and not listening to an hour long podcast or reading a super long article, like broadly speaking, right, is because that, that's simply not what they're interested in. They want an infographic. So mm. can, can you talk a bit about that then? Because this is like, you're saying people, they want to stay on the platform that they originally found you on. And so, and even the platform, the way that it's designed, like they will down regulate or they'll, they'll downgrade posts that link to external websites or that mm. stop you from just scrolling on the same feed. So whereas what, what you've got set up, especially with your kind of PT coaching business is people come into your world, they come into your platform and you then own that traffic. Exactly. So actually basically any platform 
um, any good platform will actually um, design itself in such a way as to prevent people from leaving the platform. And Facebook also penalizes posts that uh, have links in it, for example. That's why I generally don't link to uh, scientific articles. I just, if someone in the comments asks, like, also always give them a link, but I won't put the link directly in there. In general, also on your website, um, like I, you know, all of my articles are scientifically referenced, so I have a lot of links, but there are a lot of cases where it's actually better not to have a link because basically every link you give is an opportunity for someone to click on it and be gone. What you want is you want them to be on your website or you know, do something there. Uh, like, you know, sign up or buy a product ultimately. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I think that's really uh, uh, a really big part. And also what you said on uh, uh, someone having like a lot of sex appeal or liking and not authority. Um, without naming names, I know a lot of people on Instagram, uh, especially if you look more in the fitness model, you know, less, less like evidence-based fitness, uh, more mainstream fitness uh, model. And if you say, for example, really big female fitness model, that mostly posts like selfies, maybe some exercises, uh, but does do coaching. Huge mismatch. Look at the demographics of her following. It'll be like 80 plus percent male. And uh, <laughs> often you see that these, these women do women coaching, right? So there is a, a bit of a discrepancy there. hundred percent. Well, <laughs> so you, you might know a guy called Zach Ainsley, um, He's yeah, a, he's big name. on Instagram. So I I used to go to school with him. Used to like used to hang hang out with him from my hometown. He's now got 1.2 million followers, which is insane. Like the level of traffic that he's able to command is massive. Mm-hmm. But people, I, I don't know how he's making his money currently. Like I've not seen him pitch anything. But it looks like that kind of following seems to be much more scaled to supplement promotion and product promotion and stuff. But then it's like you're then at the mercy of yeah your exposure on that platform. Yeah. So you have to get really big. Um, like, um, what's the guy's name? Dan Bilzerian. Dan Bilzerian. Del Bilzerian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dan, yeah. whatever, Dan. <laughs> or good old Dan. He, um, he basically, then you get to the point where you're so popular, you don't really have a product. It's just you post stuff and people will come to you and ask you for like endorsements or affiliate deals uh, or they just pay you to be on the platform. Like I think in his case, like he doesn't even have to pay the models that are on his page because simply the reach of being on that platform, even when they look like um, someone in a different kind of market, potentially, <laughs> uh, is it, so good that, uh, you know, there, there's not even any, uh, he basically gets his, uh, what he wants for free for the publicity. And with the publicity, um, the publicity itself is his product. So then you have a, a whole, it's all own ecosystem. But to get there, you first have to reach uh, a very large critical mass in terms of popularity. So I think these, these two, what we've just spoken about. So firstly, this belief that everybody in the online fitness world today who has any kind of traction either um, posted on T Nation or existed kind of back in 2010 um, or has one point whatever million followers on Instagram and outside of those two realities, it's completely impenetrable for someone who may be completely qualified to, to coach a group of people, but they look at all these platforms and see all these obstacles. How do you suggest that someone in that position kind of, what's the first step that you suggest someone takes? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's hard. Like there's, there's, if you just look at any kind of statistics in terms of small businesses in general, it's hard to, Mm -hmm. to basically break through because 
the thing about popularity is that there is generally exponential growth. For some reason, I've managed to elude the concept of exponential growth with my followers, and my popularity does not seem to influence how fast I gain followers. It's linear. It's been linear from like day one, and it's still going linear. <laughs> I don't know why, but what's supposed to happen is that once you get popular, you sort of get more popular because you're popular. Mm-hmm. You, know, and you see this um, really uh, strongly on like YouTube, where there's a video, and it's like, this video has 5 million views, and it will pop up in your Facebook feed, and it's like, this video has 5 million views in, te- in, in, te- in two days. And then you're like, oh, that's interesting. What, what would it be? And everyone has that. And then it has 10 million views. You know, so popularity itself basically drives, uh, it's also social, social proof, basically. That's the, the principle. Um, popularity drives itself. But if you don't have popularity, what do you do? Um, generally, research finds that any type of boutique or niche business has a much greater chance of um, surviving in a market like this. So ideally, you basically create your own kind of niche. And I think that's a really big mistake that I see, especially in my type of uh, students. They, they want to emulate me, basically. So mm-hmm. they graduate my course, they use my methods, and they use my, um, you know, also what they learn in, in the business module, like my marketing, uh, my type of the way I use social media and stuff. Uh, and that's pretty much guaranteed not to work <laughs> because... You know, you'll just, you'll be another me. And that, that, you know, the best case scenario basically would be something like you'll be Thibodeau uh, rather than Poliquin. But Thibodeau has really evolved his own methods. You know, he's he's definitely not Poliquin anymore. Mm -hmm. So you have to differentiate yourself. Otherwise, what's the point of of anyone? Like also, especially people, the the worst part is the people that just copy articles. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's the point? You know, for, for one, the people in the know, they'll know. And people that don't know, um, you generally, you can't fool them for long. And you have no, no niche in the market. You don't create your own something. So the, this is a good point that like people who, they do the Menno Henselman's course and then they try and become Menno Henselman's. And it's like, of course, you're going to do a worse job of being Menno Henselman's than Menno himself. <laughs> right. And so aiming to like not differentiate yourself and, and also like the, the market now is very, is a very different place to what it was when we all started say 10, 10, 12 years ago now where like when, when we started, we would literally write a WordPress post on like, what is hypertrophy? Mm-hmm. And it would get ranked on the first mm-hmm. page of Google and it was on like a standard WordPress theme. And you know, you could, it was such a different, you could appeal to such a broad market of like, how to achieve fat loss while on holiday. Like, where, whereas now, like, if you were to, you, you've got both the time advantage of having established yourself early and, you know, created some high-ranking content within those pieces of, of work. Secondly, you've got the scientific rigor, which is not a very easily teachable skill. And you're somebody who walks the walk in the niche that you're presenting to, which is that you've done bodybuilding, you have a physique that you display on Instagram and like, so, so I think all of those things means that trying to emulate that 10 years later is mm. just impossible. Right. So you want to take the, the general sort of categories. You have to show people uh, it, in general, it always helps to show that you walk the talk and that can be because you compete or you just look okay. Um, it really depends on the market. You know, if you, if you want to specialize in contest prep coaching, then I'd say you better look really good or you have to yep. for somehow have gained at least a hundred people that have 
purchased your, your coaching and gotten really good results from it. Um, so you already have the reputation. But for most people, yeah, you, you basically need to have competed to uh, be really big as a coach for competitors. And on the, on the other side, if you look okay, like gen pop okay, like uh, you have a physique that many people on the beach would think is great, but doesn't have a place yet on a bodybuilding stage, that can actually be good. Because if that's your market, they see a picture of even me, for example, already, and you'd be like, oh, gross, <laughs> that is nasty. What, what is that? What, what are those lines? What's that? Is that, is that his knee or is he has, he has two knees? Like, you know? So it's, uh, you have to, I think the, the most important thing is finding like your niche in your market. And one of the best things is uh, to simply find what you like and think of people like you. For most people, that I think is the best way to go about it. And that's largely also what I do. Because uh, in general, a big thing, it, all of this marketing talk and talks about, you know, like uh, how, how certain systems are designed and which platforms you use and stuff. All of that is secondary to what you can offer. And most people ask themselves, you know, what's popular? What's the best platform? And I think that before all that, far the most important thing is what can you offer? How can you provide value to people's lives? And how do you want to do this? Because I would probably be good for YouTube, but I won't like it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. And I know even if I start on it, it's it's not gonna be uh, very satisfactory for me. Like I prefer writing. So you know, it's someone just who, because like you you've seen Jeff Nippard presumably. Like yeah. he's he's somebody who has like plowed into YouTube so and it's so impressive how well he's done that. But whenever I see his videos, I just think oh, the number of hours of work to put just to create like five minutes of footage mm-hmm. must be insane. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you have to like video editing and you have to like video in general. So that, that's, that's another thing. Like if it, it's basically the same principle. If you, if you don't think you're going to do this for the next probably decades, every day, you're, you're not going to be successful at it. Just because like this is supposed to be the optimal platform this is what's popular right now. These are sort of, you know, this is the formula. It, it Generally, it won't happen like that. You have to think of what can you offer? Are you a good, um, are you good at drawing stuff? Are you good at explaining things more in person? And are you very likable? Uh, or are you better at writing things down and researching things properly? You know, those kind of things determine what kind of platform you should use. You know, what kind of people, what kind of person are you? What kind of people like persons like you? Probably similar people. And that's probably going to be sort of your niche. So you want to give content and the, the amount of depth in the content. And, you know, all, all of those things should be tailored to that kind of audience. I think a mistake we see a lot of new coaches make is, is ignoring the fact that it, just exactly what you just said, like it's a, it's still a business. There is still value exchange. People are, st- there's still supply and demand, like rules of a market still apply. And if you're, if you're in it for six months, probably no matter what you do, you're, you're probably still going to not experience results that are, that are worth even bothering with. So it's, it's that. And also I think you're dead right that because another thing we see a lot of is people feeling like they aren't qualified enough. So they'll see Eric Helms, Mike Isretel, Menno Henselmans and think, well, I'm, I can't look at scientific literature and, and distill it like these guys. So perhaps I'm not good enough. To, to be an online coach at all, but exactly what you just said, like if someone is a customer, 
and someone is buying something, what they want someone who is who has a result that they have, who have has access to experience that they don't have, etc. So, yeah, I think that's spot on. So just pick a pick a medium, pick a a way of communicating that you feel strong at, and pick a market that you feel you can help. And exactly, and let things. It, in general, with evidence-based fitness, basically there's there's a sort of a top-down distillation of information, which starts with original researchers, and like Eric Holmes and me are sort of part of that, but also not not super well. Like it's mostly full-time professors that mm-hmm. do just non-stop research at a university, and those do you know they they talk with the subjects, they do the actual. Uh, research, the laboratory measurements, etc. Those produce original data, as it's called. And after that, there is a huge, huge layer of information distillation, which comes from the original researchers writing a discussion section, reviewing their results, other scientific reviews, reviewing those results, then more like uh, people like me, which is basically popular science. It's not, it's not actual science. Like we're not. Um, at least in, in that capacity, writing actual articles in scientific journals. But we're distilling that information to something that's more manageable, but still scientifically referenced. And if you would you know, jazz it up a little bit or make it more formal, rather, then you could publish it potentially in a scientific journal. And then below that is people that make, for example, insta- uh, infographics for social media and stuff that still you know, hone down on the take-home messages and don't have eight conditions like if this, if, if this, then that, if this, then that, but just like, this is probably what you need to spend your time on. They don't write. Now I might write a 10 page article on the, the, the 2% optimization of uh, your biceps peak, but the conclusion for, you know, one, one level down in the distillation of information is probably someone that just writes a different graphic that says, you don't need to worry about any of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, for, yeah. for their audience. So you need to find out basically where, you are in that layer and where your audience is. And based on that, see what kind of information you should uh, give. Because if you give my kind of information to complete novices, they'll, they'll rate it terribly. They'll be like, this is way too much information. They are not super clear take-home messages. It's, uh, it, it's not super easily written. You know, there's quite, quite some technical terms, uh, mostly advanced topics that require some background knowledge. Um, what do I do? You know, what do I eat? Uh, should I go to the gym on Monday or Tuesday? And how do I lift the barbell? You know, there's a mismatch of the, the information, the level of information you're providing and who is the target audience. I suppose that the other problem that you've mentioned there with this kind of trickle down of primary data from the professors down into the science communicators like yourself and Eric Helms, and then down to kind of the average PT that takes the, the tidbits from that and, and, publishes it is we saw like maybe two three years after um helms started posting uh published his books and you see people plagiarizing the nutritional pyramid like three four years later on articles and it's like you've not only beaten the dead horse by this point like it's already been communicated up so far but also like for to make content on that it's so far behind the curve that it's just going to get no exposure is it's not gonna you know it's already telling people mm. telling that audience what they already know and i think the only person who i see has done this successfully you know taken some piece of information that's well behind the curve is someone like james smith who's taken that information which is obvious to kind of our crowd and transmitted it to a the kind of 
women around 30 who are a bit overweight and are outside of this kind of fitness bubble. And he's communicated it in a way that's got a lot of kind of, a lot of character and um, social media presence. And so only that combination seems to have really succeeded. But when you get Mr. Bog Standard PT trying to, trying to publish this, uh, this kind of, uh, these kind of ideas, it's just a lost cause. Yeah, exactly. There was this, for example, there was, there was this one article by, um, I think it's the guy from Physiconomics. I'm not really sure, but he, he wrote a very long article on um, um, the fact that most people don't lose weight because they overest or underestimate their energy intake, which is like very duh. And it was I just literally summarized the like five page article, <laughs> but he made it super funny with a lot of uh, cartoons in it. And just, uh, you know, visual imagery and the, the way he wrote it with uh, definitely not science with like capstock stuff in it, bolded parts. It, it really hit home for a lot of people. And that became a super, super popular article because even if you get the same information, if you can repackage it so that you reach new people, it can actually be really successful. And in general, you can also do this with different languages or targeting different people. Like you say, for example, if someone is um, really popular in a certain community, which is like all men, and you can take that information and you make it accessible, more, more accessible for a, a female community, also really good. So yeah, there's, there's lots of ways to basically not do the exact same thing as someone else, um, but give it your own, your own flair and be successful with it. So one of the, one of the questions we were going to ask you later on, but I think probably fits in quite well now is just what, what are the mistakes or what is a, a, a key mistake you see people making? And I think linked to that linked to what we've just been speaking about, I think probably the biggest mistake we see happen like every time you scroll through Instagram is a, a personal trainer making fitness content that really is only going to appeal to other personal trainers or other people of a similar knowledge level to them. So right. is there anything else that you see that, you know, like people consistently do that, that's a mistake that's glaringly obvious that would be kind of a, a simple, you know, if I think about this differently or if I switch my strategy, I could maybe avoid that. Yeah. I'd say that these, these are probably the big ones, like not, uh, knowing your own product and niche and making sure those are tailored using the right medium to communicate um, information that's relevant for your niche. And um, I think uh, one mistake I'd add is like you said, in the end, it's a business. And while I 100% think if you start off thinking, how do I make the most money? You're not going to be successful. You should think, how am I going to provide value to people's lives? But that said, in the end, you always have to remember that you are running a business Mm -hmm. and it's your livelihood. Mm -hmm. So you have to think, what are you going to do with the the reach you give? And a lot of people right now on social media, they chase likes and Instagram is is probably the worst for this. Like you say, you can have a million Instagram followers and have such a, I know some people that have like around a million followers. Instagram followers and they barely get by or they still have to do another job because they're not funneling that audience into product sales. And for example, on my website, like a million people. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not a million people that buy your product. And also like, uh, on Reddit and these kind of forums, which is, um, places that generally people that generally don't really buy stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd say that, that, Reddit is so big that, you know, there's different niches and stuff. But in general, I'd say that Redditors are not your, your best buyers. 
They're they're very critical, cynical, skeptical. You know, these are not people that easily uh, give money to something, and they like to research things themselves, etc. So basically, you, you need to find ways to reach people, bring them to your platform, and you need to bind them with standard approach, which is also what I do. Simply because you need you need something like this is you reach people via Google, social media. However, word of mouth, and in the end, I want to bring them to my website. In general, I don't I don't really care at all about an Instagram follower per se because it doesn't do anything. I only care about Instagram followers to the extent that I can bring them to my website. And then basically, the the general funnel is I have a newsletter, which is a very big free email course um, with a lot of value that I provide provide for uh, people. Like it's my most popular contents. Um, you know, some new stuff. I just basically, it's, it's also long. Like standard approach is like seven messages, spam them a couple times and then sell. My one is like very long. It's a couple months, I think even. And it's not like a daily uh, email. And in the end, or in between, you mention your products. And in the end, you, you do a more hard sell. And you just say like, hey, if you like this kind of product, this kind of content, this is that content gone pro. I suppose this this matches with your type of audience. You said that the people who tend to buy from you have been following you for a year or more. Plus they tend to be more kind of cerebral kind of like, I don't imagine the majority of your PT clients are sorry. That's in the majority of your like physique coaching clients are beginners. Like they're probably intermediate advanced kind of people. And so that's the kind of content they follow. So you're kind of, it's fortuitous for you that you have, the personal trainers audience and the client audience and they're both kind of the same type of people and i imagine so many of them will also be pts or at least interested in in becoming one yeah Um, what do you do or what what's your offer for someone who can't afford your coaching but still wants something like do you have a, a a passive product or um an information product that you sell as like a down sell no I don't. I uh, probably should, um, but this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm just not interested in it. Like, I could make super simplified version of my PTT course, for example, that would probably be really good because, like you said, I'm not addressing that market. Um, but I also don't. I don't really care about addressing that market. Like, I just mm-hmm. won't find it uh, satisfactory. And also, generally, notice this: like reading YouTube comments for especially like super popular videos is like. In general, I think YouTube has an, an okay atmosphere, a nice community, but some some comments you're like, uh, God, like, <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to, to you know, spend my time making videos. And also, yeah, it's just you. I was a ghostwriter, and uh, way before I did some ghostwriting, and that's soul draining work. You have to write an article about something you don't agree with. <laughs> that is is one of the the worst things. You have to find arguments. For I, I think there's I'm pretty sure there's actually a psychological tests that measure uh, they do to inflict cognitive dissonance and stuff. So that's, that's basically what you're doing. Your 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 job is then uh, an active test of inducing cognitive dissonance in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I quit that basically as soon as I could. You do learn some some stuff and type of people that use ghostwriting in the industries a lot more people than uh, you would want, but. Um, yeah, you, you, you really have to make sure that what, what you're doing is also fun for you or enjoyable or you know, fulfilling because, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's in the end the reason you're on this planet, you know, to, to enjoy it. 
And money is only the means to that end. So if you're doing something that makes you a lot of money while draining your happiness in the process, I'd say that's, you know, mm. a bit backwards as an approach. Mm. So the, the funnel that you described there is basically give away a lot of value at no cost and then offer a way to sort of extend that relationship, which sort of one of the the sort of the core principles that we have always relied on that, that we teach and recommend is, you know, always give before you ask. So never, and I think that we see the inverse of that on social media all the time. You know, this idea of here I am, here is me with very few clothes on, by the way, here's a supplement that you might like. Um, you know, there's no yeah. real value exchange there. There's not nothing to consume. No re- Whereas you're saying someone is getting presumably thousands of words from you before you even mention the fact that there's something to buy. Exactly. And in general, you could say that the more popular you are and the more mainstream your audience, the less there is a value exchange and the more it's just like mass promotion. Mm-hmm. And when you get to gen pop level, the stuff you see on billboards, um, yeah, in general, like if you look around, what, what kind of stuff you see on a billboard, that's the stuff that is so mainstream, so popular. Like if you just show it to a lot of people, there's a good chance that a lot of those people are actually interested in that. Yeah. And that works if you are a Fortune 500 company and you have a product that targets pretty much, you know, at least 50% of the world population. For almost any starting PT, I would say you have to go the niche route. You, mm-hmm. you have to really focus on personalized product, personalized experience, making people know who you are. Like I say, being likable and authoritative and um, creating your own niche like that. Because, I mean, this, this links back to another question I was going to ask you, which was, you know, how do you, we, we were asked a lot in the, the emergence of an evidence-based community where, you know, more, more science that is coming down from the primary level is more accessible to personal trainers and there's less confusion over, you know, well, if I have all my carbs post-training in the evening, is that really the secret? And all, you know, people have moved past that now. Mm-hmm. So if someone's a personal trainer who feels like they have access to this information, but their clients believe that actually, you know, regardless of what you think, I've decided that that carbs are bad for me, or I've decided that a plant-based diet will fix everything. You know, how do you market yourself in a world where you are promoting the non-sexy alternative in a world of of sort of quick fix pills? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, in the end, results sell. So if you are selling something that doesn't provide results, <laughs> basically, if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to have a hard time marketing that, yeah. whatever you do. Yeah. So, uh, and that, that's what I'd say. If you're, uh, for, for vegans, for example, it's, and this is both vegans and carnivores, carnivore diet and vegan diet, you have basically the zealots that say vegan diet is best for everything or the carnivore diet is best for everything. Uh, those are pretty much doomed never to be super successful because they're simply wrong. So that, that's something that may be popular, it may become a fad uh, and they may actually make a lot of money if they do it, you know, intelligently, mm. but it's not going to be successful for the next three decades. As a sidetrack, I watched the game changers documentary. Mm. I was fully prepared to do an experiment on myself where I was going to do sort of like two, three months of plant-based diet. I was going to buy all the supplements, do a blood test before and after I was saying to you stuff like I'm going to do a, a I'm going to document this, right? Write articles as I go. I then read your article on it that basically said there's not really um, a benefit to it. And I was like, right, fine. I'm not going to do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so but the, you probably get the opposite as well, where like, cause you, you've challenged a lot of the main assumptions in fitness. Like you've been saying, uh, you know, the, like you don't need as much protein as the magazines would say that you need and the, the vegan mm. diet thing, cholesterol, and I'm sure there's loads of others as well. Um, and you said that like, so these zealots will often dig their heels in harder when you present the alternative view to the point where like, they won't review the evidence with the same critical eye because they're like, no, no, this is what I do. And I've decided that this is right. So mm. I wonder whether like you, without really trying to, cause you, you're, you're just kind of an evidence-based guy. You don't, you don't really um, sensationalize your content, but it's still polarizing because some people just don't like what the data says. And, you know, we were saying that at the start that people are even personally offended by certain bits of data, even around like gender differences in training response or things like that. Right. So there's, that's something that's a luxury problem. Basically it's something you have to learn to live with as you get more popular, even in your niche, you're going to offend people. And a lot of people are not going to like you. Some people are probably going to hate you. So that's pretty much inevitable. It's just a numbers game. Like if you have a lot of people and some people are super likable persons, but some people just actively dislike likable persons <laughs> because they're like mainstream and gen pop and you know, there's like their standard and whatnot. So it's, it's pretty much impossible um, for any person. If you show them to thousands people for all of those thousand people to, to like what you do, like they're, they won't agree. Not a thousand people are going to agree with you and not a thousand people are going to like you. So you're, you're basically going to have enemies, if you will. Uh, and that's fine. That's just something that comes with the territory. And I think you just have to find for yourself a way to address it. And that probably depends on, you know, the, uh, the kind of responses you get. Like I'd say I have uh, very few haters, pretty much only Lyle McDonald and some of his hardcore followers. Uh, <laughs> but who yeah, who doesn't have Lyle McDonald as a hater? <laughs> well, there were about three people up until, uh, the 45 set study by Schoenfeld. And now it's, yeah, I think it's at zero. We've got in trouble with Lyle before. <laughs> quite quite <laughs> bad. We got added, we had him ask his entire group to spam all of our stuff and comment negatively on everything and got quite nasty. But that, this is something that I think like if you move from, you know, you're a, a, like a local personal trainer or maybe you've got no, no presence at all and you start putting out sort of taking steps to put yourself out there and someone says something really damning about something you've done it is really it's weird isn't it the first few times like it makes you want to retreat and stop um and you scale it up and someone sends you a nasty message or like a a, you know private message that's threatening or aggressive um it's just as you say it's it's part of the part of the game yeah and that's 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 one of the big things that i uh I had a problem with Lyle with like way, way before uh, shit got way worse. But uh, that was like, if, if he sends a message like that, you know, it's not to make this about Lyle. Some, too many of these conversations end up talking about Lyle. But in general, <laughs> if, if you send like a really hateful message like that to a new PT that just doesn't know any better, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it can be very, very destructive. Like the, for us now, social media are uh, mainly a, a business thing. You know, it's a, there's, I barely use my, my social media really for any personal purposes at this point. Uh, for one, it's just impossible to, to get through. If, like, if you're, even if you're a friend of mine and you use the wrong email address to contact me, it's like you, you get a reply later or it ends up with my administration or some stuff, you know? So um, 
but but main point is that when you start off and this is all still very personal for you and it's like a scary idea to to put up a picture as your profile picture that uh, you think is like a bit much or you know it's like uh, very very business or it shows your biceps and you know your family doesn't like bodybuilders mm -hmm. so and then you get a comment like you know what the fuck is this you fucking retard <laughs> then that 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 can really hurt someone yep. you know so yep and it, it's something that i don't think very many people uh in the world where like online coaching is aggressively promoted as being the the answer to everything it's something that people don't ever talk about but, you know with with reach with followers with traffic comes a percentage of those people i think it was tim ferriss who spoke about like there is a there is a percentage of of the world that are psychopaths and if you as your audience gets bigger you are going to encounter those people on the internet and when there's no face to face interaction with someone who's who's happy to say anything to you like no matter with no regard for your feelings at all it's far easier to send that as a private message on instagram than it is to say that face to face or you know to threaten yeah. someone when it's, there's not really um, any consequences. It's so interesting sometimes when you like we've just very occasionally like we haven't got a huge audience so we occasionally we'll see people who have been giving us given us all this on online and then you see them in person maybe at a, an event or something and they're so meek and you're like yeah. wow like this what all this giving it the big and online is actually <laughs> like someone who's quite scared in real life i've never had it uh, i've never encountered it any other way yeah in fact it's always that and, direction isn't it yeah and i've I'd even say that uh, you always say like direct messages. That's that's already like the more psychopathic people, you know. Mm -hmm. Because for most people, if they 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 don't really realize it, there are a lot of people just just leave very unconstructive, negative comments. Uh, actually, I had like a, a list at some point. I want to write an article about it. Uh, some big ones are like, uh, "This was known since and then date." That comment basically means I knew this already. It, it, it has nothing to do with, you know, the article or the information. I mean, if you write an article about something uh, and it's just good information, it's, you know, uh, maybe you don't like it. Maybe you don't share it. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, uh, you know, men on the moon. <laughs> but the, the, just writing like this was already known. It's like the, okay, all of these cool. things, especially <laughs> if you look in that, that hierarchy of scientific evidence, you know, the original data is usually like at least several years old before it's really anywhere near mainstream, even in mainstream for evidence-based fitness. And there's like many other comments. If you just go through like a big thread, and YouTube has this a lot, people don't really think about it. Uh, um, or they, they just like people that are, uh, this is like mild even, like, like I don't buy it. Like, <laughs> I don't believe it. Like, okay, you know, you get a lot of comments like that. Um, what, was, what was your original question? I I can't remember. But yeah, that, that's like <laughs> when, when someone's like, oh, I, I knew this or I didn't buy it. It's like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, good for you. Not, and, and also to <laughs> yeah. say like, I, you know, I knew this already. Like that person just has a worldview that, that their, their understanding of the world, everybody understands all everything that they understand and only things that they find. In oh, uh, uh, oh, wait, I remember. I was going uh, through a point. <laughs> a lot of people, they just leave these comments very reactively. And if you, um, message them privately, especially if you do it, if you start recognizing a name for leaving like just very unconstructive comments or criticisms, um, just DM them, like send them a private message. Like, Hey, I, I notice you're, you're leaving off comments like this. Maybe, 
you know, we're, we're not on the same page. Or you could just, if they're just outright hateful, just ask like, you know, why don't you like me? Or, you know, what's the, uh, you, uh, have, I, have I wronged you in some way? But keep it civil. Don't go, you know, you don't want to make a fight. You have to keep it really civil and basically open yourself up to the criticism, but privately. And that usually helps immensely because for what a lot of people is just an, an online thing, it's now suddenly a one-on-one interaction with another human being mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, just actually, this guy's a human software. on the other end. Exactly. So usually for us, if it's something public, we will respond publicly and then just unsubscribe the person or block them. But certainly once it gets to a point where there's so much traffic that we can't do that, we just, I think, just block and like minimize the yeah. time spent. Some, some people you should just block. I think I've only blocked in total all my social media. I'm not even sure if you can block someone on Instagram. But on Facebook, um, I've blocked, I think, like 10 people in total. So that's, that's really low compared to what I know. For, yeah. Uh, a lot of other people we we've had it with with emails um there's been examples where someone will will respond to an email that goes to our list someone will reply with something aggressive and then Mm. you know like you know stop emailing me you prick or something like that you know to to something you've subscribed to um gdpr compliant and, and everything and then you reply to the person and apologize and say you know no problem i'll unsubscribe you and they reply back and say like oh my god i'm so sorry i didn't think anyone read these emails you're like well Mm. What are you replying for then? Well, like, people that will resubscribe after yeah. you've unsubscribed yeah. them. You're like, well, stop subscribing and you won't receive any more emails. <laughs> then problem solved. I think that the way we, and I imagine you're the same, man, like we just started, you start to gradually see this as just data points. Just like noise. You yeah. Do something and it's okay. Well, I've created a small ripple here with this. There's going to be a percentage of people, as you say, who don't like it, no matter how likable you are, you're going to offend somebody. Even if exactly. it's, actually this was a great piece of work and someone's upset about the fact that it's a great piece of work that's very balanced and very scientifically grounded. So it's just as I think to, to us actually having no criticism is probably worse because you're almost achieving nothing at that point. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. creating such little noise online that, that no one even cares enough to criticize you. So yeah, that's, that's and, a valid point to a, to a large extent. And, and haters or, or people who criticize are always more vocal. Like I'm certainly more vocal of things I I don't agree with and things I'm like that was fantastic. <laughs> it's just like yeah, exactly. A lot of people don't even like. They just they're like, like hmm. yeah. yeah I, I I stay subscribed. That's what they do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, you don't see that. You just see the one person who leaves the scathing comment. So yeah. yeah. So just to quickly transition before we wrap up, just onto something a bit more positive. Um, I guess you. So you mentioned at the start of the podcast you're in New York. Is that right? Yeah, Philadelphia now. Okay. So you, uh, you, it sounds like you travel quite a bit because I think the last time we spoke to you, you were, you were somewhere else and you mentioned that you, you do sort of live this digital nomad lifestyle a little bit, which I think is probably yep. the freedom of location and, and where you work, when you work, all that sort of stuff is something that a lot of people who move online aspire to. Mm-hmm. What, is that a huge benefit for you? Is that one of the selling points of being an online coach? It probably is. Um, I don't really emphasize that much. Um, because I don't know, I think it's, I think it's very easy to give the wrong impression. If I look at a lot of digital nomads, like, you know, lying at the beach the whole day. And, uh, I mean, fact of the matter is that I work more hours than most people do in an office job because I work for one, seven days instead of five days. Right. And I work pretty much the same hours, probably just, I don't have to commute. Um, 
but it, it's it's a huge advantage, I would say. Like especially if it's possible, if you're single, if you're with someone who also travels or with friends or other digital nomads, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely amazing. I mean, I think so for some people, it's 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 not in the cards. You know, they're like, I want my my routines, my consistency. I want to be at home with my dog, watching TV, and know exactly what's uh, in the fridge, and not have to go outside and whatnot. Um, if you are like more adventurous and you want to see the world, then on- online any kind of job and online PT in general is, is an amazing way uh, to do this. So, how do you just briefly? How do you structure your your time? If you, you're, you're working seven days a week, is that mm-hmm. just you find it easier to keep the same rhythm each day, or how do you go about thinking? Yeah, I actually have a very structured method. Um, I think we can get into it completely because in three minutes I have a. Another call. That's cool. But, That's cool. Yeah. Um, basically, my roughly my, my daily setup is morning is creative work, um, mostly writing articles, uh, work on my PT course, and then yeah, in the afternoon I will tra- transition to um, our noon afternoon to client work. Uh, workout is a, I use the workout strategically as a break always. Some more client work, then uh, fun, um, something fun or dinner or something that really takes you out of it. If I I have more creativity at that point when I'm sort of full recharge. I have like one or two more hours of either creative work or um, or more client work, or if I'm like not really feeling it, something more administrative, like you. Then uh, at the end of the day, always still unwind for at least an hour. Like I watch a series with my fiance usually, and then go to bed. Make sure you get ample sleep and repeat the cycle. Sounds solid. Awesome. Okay. So I mean, the difference for me is mainly that if you're a digital nomad. Whereas most people, once they want to do something fun, you go to a Starbucks. And if you're a digital nomad, your something fun can be visiting Mayan rooms because they're <laughs> you know, almost next door. So yeah, there's never, that never definitely is amazing. something fun. Awesome. Well, Mena, thanks so much for coming back on. Uh, it's been awesome to chat to you again. My pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, find out more about your work, the PT course, where's the best place to go? Uh, yeah, manowensmalls.com. Uh, you probably provide a link in the show notes because yeah. nobody can spell it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, probably the best way is to uh, sign up for a free email course if you don't know me yet. I have Facebook, Instagram, and uh, you'll see everything on my website. So I, I should mention as well, Menno, <clears throat> one of my clients recently, he, he won't mind me giving him a shout out here. It's called NIMS, signed up for your mm-hmm. PT course. And he has extolled the benefits of it he said it's absolutely fantastic he's he sent me some of the like overview um contents page and and said mm-hmm. some of the stuff was in it and it looks amazing and i think actually in this space nice. where pt qualifications are it, there's so much shit in that world and um i think for anyone listening that oh, is yes. a pt and wants to actually improve their their education and their knowledge within becoming a better coach you really can't get better than menno's course so um, thank you very much. Yeah, I think it's uh, certainly the real deal. Right, awesome. I got to run. Uh, I'll be happy to talk to you guys again. Uh, let me know sure. when you post this and uh, I'll share it. Wonderful. All right, All right. Yeah. speak to you. Right. See you guys. See you. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. 
We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propinfitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.